Next up, Erlang Solutions and ManaSearch present What's Next for Blockchain in Financial Services, a panel moderated by Mimi Nguyen, R&D Lead at ManaSearch. Thank you for joining us today at our very special live event, What's Next for Blockchain in Financial Services. I'm Mimi Nguyen from ManaSearch, co-host of the FinTech Times Searching for Mana podcast and a PhD candidate at Imperial College London Faculty of Engineering. We are pleased to host this star-studded panel session as a part of the FinTech Week 2021, broadcasted live from Barkis Rice and supported by Erlang Solutions experts in building scalable, highly resilient systems. In this event that I will be moderating, we will look into the innovation and the real-life use cases of the underlying blockchain technology outside cryptocurrencies, which will be covered uh, in other sessions of this conference. So, Sorry for disappointing some people, but we will be not speaking about Dogecoins and Jack Dorsey tweets or, or any memes today. We have with us Chris Skinner, Dean Dobre, recognized Ford leader and the author of The Financer, Marcus Richer, member of the boards of directors at ClearBank, previously Ripple, uh, Simon Taylor, co-founder and blockchain practice leader at 11FS, and last but not least, Hayden Jones, PwC, director and senior, blockchain market specialist. It's a pleasure to have you all with us today. Quick recap of the history blockchain 1.0 was related to virtual currencies, broadly speaking blockchain 2.0, with smart contracts, smart property, decentralized application, DAPs, DAOs, DAGs. And in the book, Blockchain Blueprint for a New Economy, Blockchain 3.0 is described as the application of blockchain in areas other than cryptocurrencies, such as government, science, arts and culture. Blockchain 3.0 aims to popularize the technology and focuses on the regulation and the governance of its decentralization in society. So to kick off the dialogue of today's session, I have a first question for Simon. Could you tell us if the today's version of blockchain is mature enough and ready to be applied off the shelf to our use cases, and especially I, in fintech? I love the word off the shelf. Yeah. Uh, because off the shelf for who and to achieve what? For the uh, banking system and for the fintech. Uh, for, for the banking system or the fintech? Because for the fintech company, if I wanted to acquire customers, then maybe adding um, Bitcoin or crypto trading is really good marketing. Um, so Revolut, uh, Square, Robinhood already offer those services today. And, and that's really powerful and live and in production. So we could argue that, yes, it's ready and it's off the shelf. Um, but if you wanted to achieve something different, uh, we see that uh, there's a neobank in the US called Current. Uh, they have about two and a half million customers. Um, they would be you know, sort of really well liked by their users, but they're seen primarily as a neobank, not a crypto wallet, not a trading app like Robinhood. And they offer 4% savings yield. And the reason they're able to do that is because they're using DeFi behind the scenes. They're using uh, the, the money markets that exist behind the scenes in crypto to be able to deliver that. So again, that's live, it's in production, it's available to 2.5 million customers of that, of that service. So yes, there's that. And then there's a whole other world where the guys at IBM, the guys at EY, the guys at PwC and many, many others have been involved in projects where you are managing global supply chain finance and much, much more. So I think the short answer is yes, there are things ready to go into production without question. But what I would ask is who are you 
and what do you want to achieve? Because there are some things that you have to choose different technologies for. So for example, if I was trying to solve for building um, a scalable uh, exchange, or if I was trying to rebuild Visa, would I necessarily use Bitcoin or Ethereum or even something of those lines? Maybe not. But would I use a Solana? Would I use a Polygon or a Matic or even Corda or uh, something from, from IBM? Yes, I might. So actually, you really have to go down a level and say, is it ready? What is it? It is actually many things. So who are you and what do you want to achieve? Therefore, you might be able to choose the right solution for your use case. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to ask about the operational efficiency. So not the marketing kind of uh, revolut mm -hmm. uh, campaigns. Uh, so a survey from Accenture across the world's largest eight banks is demonstrating that blockchain technology can cut costs mm -hmm. and uh, bring savings of more than 30% across the middle and back office, bringing the initial savings of $8 billion. I wanted to ask Marcus on this, how and where can the savings be achieved? I think it's important to um, look at the, the big picture for uh, blockchain and um, the uh, genie is out of the bottle, blockchain's in the market and it's being applied to today's world. That's having a, a fairly big impact. And my view is there will be a moderate to large impact applying blockchain technology that's out and available off shelf to improve some of the processing that you know, financial companies have today. But the big value is looking ahead to the point in time where the technology becomes mature enough to rethink and redefine how money is owned, moved and utilised. And that will be seismic. And in that future, which is not too far ahead, you'll be looking at what it means to be a bank, an insurance company, an accountancy firm, a consultancy, a government department. That will change. And that's really where the impact of blockchain will come into the, uh, um, the forefront. Um, you mentioned money moving. I wanted to ask about the cross-border. Uh, payment? Uh, how can we move it to become real-time, soft real-time, maybe Hayden? How will this affect the banking sector? Well, I think um, one of the most important parts to this is governance. Okay, We need um, a far more effective way of actually governing blockchain, and that flows from the regulator. Okay, yeah. um, For me, the thing that's always you know, sort of stood out is the ability to combine, I think Marcus has touched on this, the ability to, buy, to combine payments, ledgers, store of value, and the conditional nature of money, yeah. okay? Now, if we look at those four separate um, concepts, each of them have got distinct regulatory frameworks associated with them. So you've got the payment service regulator, you've got the services regulation authority, um, you've got the central banks, you've got the Prudential Regulation Authority. They all have separate regulatory frameworks, right? Yeah. Now, if we take something as clever as blockchain, we're actually bringing those four things together, okay? And that's a very potent mix because you've got four very, very important concepts that have been around for you know, hundreds, in some cases thousands of years, right? To, what, you're basically, what you basically end up doing is creating some kind of super regulator, Okay. Now, a regulator for any one of those is tough. 
a super regulator that understands the, that sort of four-dimensional nature of what you're dealing with there yeah. is, is tough. It's a big ask. But if we really want to sort of crack this, it's absolutely essential that we, we move forward. And we, it, it, you know, if you, look, if you look at the invention of um, radio telecommunications, the way they regulate radio telecommunications is through the International Telecommunications Union, right? Because they realised how potent the technology was and it took that sort of global force, that global vision, to allow us to bring uh, you know, the, the different nations to, uh, to, together to actually come up with a concept that allows us to control the risks associated with this technology. Yeah. That leads me to when you said regulations to the smart contracts. So, for example, we're speaking about the executable code that can automate various processes, and it also relates back to the savings that we talked before, the back office operational efficiency. And it actually reminds me of the book um, from D Daniel Suskin. He's a professor of economy from Oxford University, World Without Work, um, where through the lens of analyzing AI and ML, of course, he's talking that uh, we are all heading to a world where human work will become obsolete. And Chris, I remember you also mentioned one of the previous articles, a different study from Oxford University, estimating 47% of our jobs are at high risk of extinction. So, similarly to all this discussion about AI, one of the blockchain's core premises is to cut middlemen. Uh, and Chris, I wanted to ask you, like, how will this affect us, the white-collar workers? I kind of think there's three dimensions to answer the question. Uh, one is that it's obvious that if software eats the world, we can automate everything, we can get rid of human jobs, everything will work smoothly. However, <laughs> the second dimension is that's not reality. I mean, that's not how the world works because you end up with a lot of people who have different interests and different partisan views that want to have a finger in the pie. And so the reason why blockchain has so far been completely useless is because no one can agree how to apply it. You know, there's lots of areas where it could be applied and it would have amazing benefits like in clearing a settlement or digital identity, but no one can agree how that should be structured and how it will work. And because of that, particularly across borders, it's still very immature. Uh, eventually, it will become mature and it probably will fulfill some of the dreams that we have for what it can do. Um, but I think the third thing really comes down to what are we creating as the next version of the world? And I don't think anybody has actually understood that right yet. Um, and for me, it hit home, I was saying, before we came on stage, as I was driving to see my mum, and that um, next to the motorway is warehouse after warehouse after warehouse. And yet if I go down the high street, there's closed shop after closed shop after closed shop. So we are substituting an old reality with a new reality and blockchain and digital identity and all the things that distributed ledger technology can do is part of that. But none of us yet know what that means, how it will work, how it will succeed, what the right models are, who's going to be the key players. Um, and if we did know that, then we'd be very rich people. Yes, um, 
when you mentioned about like we don't know how to govern this, uh, I also wanted to go back to Hayden, to you when you mentioned the regulations, and I actually have a quote from you from the interview with the FinTech Times, and you say, the sooner we regulate, the better. So can you elaborate the urgency? Well, the, I mean, the ironic thing about that quote, and I, was, I did check it up, was that it was, uh, it was written, it was, it was three years ago, actually, so it's July 2018, and, you know, that, that was an interview, FinTech Times, the sooner we regulate, the better. Um, I think it's probably fair to say the different governments of the world have had quite a few different things on their agenda over the last three years, unfortunately, because obviously there's the, there's the other B word that the United Kingdom's had to navigate, which is obviously Brexit, uh, which has consumed a lot of interest. Um, and I, I, I think you meant Boris. <laughs> well, I couldn't comment. I couldn't comment. But, um, but then you've had the P word. We've had, we've had a pandemic over the last uh, 18 months as well. And, I, you know, the, the, looking at... I, I would argue the UK is actually um, very much ahead of the curve. You know, we've got the, the stablecoin consultation that came out earlier this year, which I think is, is a useful step forward. I think the Europeans have gone after MICA, which is a kind of a big, big, chunky piece of legislation which is sort of working its way through. So I think, I think for us to have carved out stable coins and gone after that, I think, is, is, is pretty progressive. But it takes so long. You know, it's, it's a 12 to 18-month process of consultation, and then it's another 12 to 18-month process to, to actually lay the legislation before Parliament, and then it's another sort of 12 to 18 months for the regulators to actually get up the curve. And then you've got this, this, this further challenge. Good blockchain crypto people are tough to get hold of. Good regulators are tough to get hold of. Trying to get good regulators who understand crypto and blockchain, it's a big ask. So it could be, uh, you know, it could be five years before we really see it, start to see sort of, you know, light at the end of the tunnel in terms of what we can do. So let's all do a CBDC. Oh, yeah. Well, that, 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 that's where this heads to, because I think if, if there is a trigger... That will, and I think there's you know, further discussions we can have around trust specifically, but a CBDC is the kind of big signal that can be sent by the central banks to the, you know, the, 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 the C-suite. Well, what is this central bank digital currency thing? Well, that's quite interesting. You know, and it's, it's, we talk about off-the-shelf capability. Well, you know, a central yeah. bank digital currency is a referenceable rail that we can point lots of very interesting things to. May I be contrarian? Um, <laughs> of course. Uh, so I don't think the C-suite matters. Um, I think the consumer matters. I think bottom-up adoption matters. Yeah. And, it, and the fact is you can't criminalize half of society. And people want better, faster, cheaper financial economy. And if stable coins offer that, they will adopt them. So the question then becomes, uh, do you want to become, as a central bank, a technology company competing with technology companies? Do you want to be Apple and Facebook-like when you're trying to develop that? Or should you, th and it was actually the Bank of England research paper that said this, should you focus more on a framework approach in which entrepreneurs, the economy itself, can look to develop things that look like e-money, things mm. that look like things we might even recognize in the economy today. So there are entrepreneurs and builders and the, the next generation can, within good guardrails, build better, faster, cheaper payments that are fairer and more transparent. Because if you've not actually used a stable coin, they seem very, very scary. But when you go ahead and use, okay, Tether is one thing, but USDC, um, and some of the other stable coins out there that do have a regulatory wrapper around them, 
I mean, this thing costs almost nothing to send, um, and it gets there instantly and anywhere in the world. Well, you've, you've not mentioned the D word, though, have you? DM from yeah. Facebook. Yeah. And I think, look, that's a, that's a, a very real fear for people, um, but actually, that's also a distraction. Because the point here really is about solving society and consumers' problems. And we lose track of that sometimes. We focus on the C-suite and we focus on the trust word. But the word trust really, really is very, very different mm. in the digital age. What does uh, an 18 to a 25-year-old trust versus what does a 55 to 65-year-old trust are two fundamentally different things. And when we're building for the future, we have to consider that trust the meaning of the word trust has changed for different generations. So, so this, is, this is the Richard from Reading problem, the Brenda from Brighton problem. Mm -hmm. you know, what's the relevance of it in the context of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis and what's, you know, what's the story that goes with that? Mm -hmm. I think that's so, so crucial. And uh, the reality is, uh, for me anyway, that adoption always comes from the edges. Uh, so, person on the street that has a day job that is more manual may not be the first adopter of this technology and it may not seem obvious to them. But then what's the relevance of cloud to, um, to, to Brenda and Brighton? Well, actually, you end up using it all around you. You don't care how it works, it just does. I don't care that Netflix happens to use the cloud, it's just I get my movies in there instant. And 20 years ago, video on the internet seemed like a crazy idea. What does it matter to Brenda and Brighton? 20 years forward, it's everywhere, and it just happens to be the technology behind the scenes. We will head in a similar way. Yeah, I think the idea of ubiquity is really critical. So most people, as you say, don't really care about the gadgets inside the box. They care about something being usable. So Netflix bundles up a whole bunch of really cool creative ideas, but what counts is what you can watch and if it's fun and if it's better than getting a a DVD um, from the local uh, local shop. So I think blockchain, in my view, will evolve in a similar way. There won't be a blockchain thing that people care about in the future. There'll be really cool things that are created that people will render or whoever you know will, will, will relate to that will contain elements of blockchain. And it's just getting that you know that one first um, killer play out. That's how the, um, the internals of blockchain will become much more mainstream. So the use cases. Um, yeah, I remember, for example, the smartphones was difficult to convince my mom to use the smartphone. But when I said, you can call your sister for free in Vietnam, Off it goes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and if you recall, um, to, to your point, Mimi, um, when the smartphone came out, uh, there was a lot of uh, executives in the boardroom saying, oh, well, that's just for games. The Blackberry is the serious thing. So, and that's happening with crypto now, and I know this is the not crypto conversation, but actually, if you look at the technology underneath, if you talk about the various blockchain flavors that are out there, there are some that get lumped in that I think are actually usable technologies that are perfectly powerful and that would allow your customers to move money internationally, that would allow your customers, your operating costs to come down. But rather than starting at what do I do today and how do I do it cheaper, it's what does the customer of tomorrow really want? And, and to, to that point, the amount of people, have you ever seen the movie Ready Player One? Um, I don't know if yeah, you've seen yeah, it, audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you've not seen it, it's the VR world that we all live in in the future. The metaverse is often the term that's used. There are now people that make millions of dollars a year just making characters land for video games. This is a new job that now exists. Now, that is all happening uh, in sort of walled gardens at the moment, that could increasingly start to happen in an open, decentralized way. And that's where things start to get interesting. And if it sounds crazy to you today, 
maybe give it 10 years. I, th I think what's interesting, so um, I look at the, the, the you know, I spend a lot of my time selling blockchain crypto projects. Right. What's so interesting, and, and one of the things you know, we, we have as a, as a firm, you know, I think the industry is getting there, is, is we work hard to almost stop selling blockchain mm. as a concept and selling the clever things that we can do yep. with yes. blockchain. Yep. Yep. So it's a bit like me turning up and selling electromagnetic waves to you and you're going, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? You know, and it's like, well, actually, this, we can use electromagnetic waves for radio. It's actually yeah. quite clever, you see. So, so we, as much as possible, we're trying to move the debate on from selling blockchain selling yeah. five interesting things that you can do with blockchain. So we can do identity and provenance, yeah. credentials, contracts, value, all these kind yeah. of things. Um, what is then interesting is the thing that pulls the cell through is the fact you say it's going to save you X or you've got that burning platform problem over there. And then typically the debate sort of moves on. There's less interest about what the technology is. Yeah. It's more about the fact actually that solves my very immediate problem yeah. very quickly. It's a really good point. So I read a book um, recently um, about Samuel Pepys and he's a 17th century um, diarist. And um, the section at the beginning is about his early life, how he puts up with you know, horrendous conditions, there's soot everywhere, the horrendous death rates. And it's kind of life around him. It's what life is like and people get on with it. And there's a, a moral there that, that often you don't realize that things are difficult, awkward, painful, you know, frictionful until you can you be shown another way of doing things. Schlep blindness. Yeah, and in, the, in a much more mundane world, I think the financial world today has that problem. We yes. put up this stuff which is really painful because it's kind of how things are. So to your point, once you show, crikey, an item of value can be yours, can be completely accessible, and can be used in minute to pay for something anywhere on the planet, 24 by seven, mm. wow. And that's possible, but people are kind of conditioned to put up with not having that because life is difficult related to services. That 24 by 7 thing blows people's mind when they really understand, wait, there is, so I'm spending all of this time and energy right. reconciling my GL with yeah. everybody else's <clears throat> GL and I'm getting errors and breaks yep. and I'm struggling with the consistency. I'm sending money to another office of some pick a big name bank here. Yep. They operate in 70 different countries. They're trying to move money from country one to country number two. They use the same network they would as if they were sending it yep. to another bank. They use Swift, which made sense in the 70s and 80s and so on, but it doesn't make any sense today. Yep. Why is it not as simple as sending an email? Why, why is that not happening? Why is it not 24 seven? Because we've become schlep blind. Yep. We've, we've become blind to the pain in our own system. And I think that's a really important yeah. point. So here's a question. And I know that Mimi's got many more questions, but I'm worried about Bertha and Brighton because Dave from Dartmoor is on his way over. Um, but the big question for me is this mm. one. And maybe you guys have the answer because I don't have the answer, which is we've talked and seen so many headlines about ICOs NFTs, right. the whole idea of a distributed ledger technology can provide provenance. Hundred years from now, <laughs> right? Well, it's still. How will you read the provenance of something from a hundred years ago when that technology is completely defunct? Right. I mean, the assumption has to be that it continues to exist. Surely. How and what form? Good question. Don't know the answer to that. Um, but the. Paper from art and uh, those forms of prominence continue to exist. You know, it's, 
It's a, it's a difficult yeah, question to answer. I, I, think, I think you're okay. Yeah, I yeah. think you're good because um, without getting too off topic, what counts is information. And once you have information, then often it stays and is built on, whether it's books into mm. uh, media or digitization. You know, some of the algorithms running the tech around this room. So we just keep enriching it, we keep adding. I think so. I think, I think when um, a model is accepted and becomes mainstream, so what's the model? if it works. Are, are you we... talking in terms of cross-border or? Right now. That's a good point. What's I the think model? The financial world today? Yeah. That's a model I think we'll move away from, but the components of that will find um, a role in well, so a new structure. So you don't think the financial world of today will have a new digital I think, system? Yeah, I'm, I think we'll take what works today and we'll redefine it. And I really think that the, the issues today are 90% about how money, to Hayden's point, have, has been managed and used around the world for a very long time, and 10%, the value created or discovered by managing value in that way, that will be taken forward. What I mean by that is today, the world works in islands of money, okay? Tied up in ledgers that there's no trust. The central banks controlling um, participants in market, policing because they can't see clearly what's happening with the financial flow. That is all replaceable by, you know, internet models of money, across border, um, a rethink of how you define what it means to have value, and opening up the ledgers of the system so that you haven't got the opaqueness that you have today. Put together, what works you'll take with you, what doesn't work, what does maybe I wanted to ask about something related to when you said about the centralized systems and the framework and the question Simon about the private blockchains. Yeah. Yeah, there's one word answer to that is no. Um, and you can see this in Santander, Goldman, and the European Central Bank um, experiment in publishing a real life bond on the public uh, permissionless Ethereum blockchain. So I do think that there are more risks in the public world, but it's, it's if you remember in the early days of the internet, um, one of the, there was, a, there was a UK bank who I have on very good authority responded to the internet by saying, well, this isn't secure enough, this is not fast enough, we should build our own internet, which is a laughable concept as we, as we sit and hear about it today. But actually, companies have corporate intranets. Corporate intranets are a perfectly fine thing. And actually, private networks are a perfectly fine thing, and you need good technologies to do those. Actually, there are times in which actors really, really value that. So that is not to poo-poo the private blockchain space at all. I think they're an essential part of the ecosystem. But to me, it's not an all. It's not one of these things exist in the future. I think both of them do. And how they coexist is probably the most interesting question. So um, to, to Marcus's point, the way I think about what crypto does and, and what blockchains do is they eventually get you to a point in which I no longer need to duplicate everything so many times because the software is handling that for me. It is creating a point of consensus and consistency about a set of facts that we agree to. So if you look at how a bank is organized, uh, how most financial services companies are organized, at the very bottom usually is the accounting. 
This is the books and records. This is the thing that gets reported to the regulator. This thing cannot go wrong. It is mission critical software. It is anathema to think, wow, I would rely on something public and open and open source to manage that for me. But 10 years ago, it was crazy to think that banks would ever use cloud and not operate their own data centers. Actually, when you think about the reduction in operating costs and the, the ability that a specialist brings to something, specialists like Amazon and GCP are very good at running data centers. They can probably run them cheaper than you can. And, but really, the argument for cloud is not about cost reduction. It's about my ability to innovate and keep up with the pace of digital. I suspect we'll see the same with blockchains. Yes, on the face of it, it will initially be sold as a cost reduction piece. But the reality is, look how much faster you can go. Look how much more innovative you can be for your customers once you start to move into that platform. Because if you are trying to drag along these aging technologies, you end up spending a lot more money just to stand still. And every day your competitors get faster and cheaper and faster and cheaper. And the sort of the shadow banking sector grows and grows and grows whilst your margins are compressed versus this other world that's emerging. I'm going to say something slightly controversial, okay? Um, forgive me. But, but unfortunately, unfortunately a lot, and again, you know, so somebody's worked in sales and I've worked in IT sales. Uh, one of the big issues that we face here is that salespeople sell things, okay? And unfortunately, they're incentivized to sell things and they're incentivized on a quarterly basis and they sell large bits of IT infrastructure, mm -hmm. whether it's the general ledger or it's a payments platform or it's uh, you know, some, yeah. some kind of other piece of technology. And they love doing that and they get rewarded for it. And unfortunately, the shareholders love getting rewarded for that as well, you see. Right. And, and unfortunately, because, you know, you think about how a company works, you start with legal entities, okay? And they, they then face off to Brenda and Richard in Reading, you see. And each legal entity has got to have a general ledger. It's got to have a payment infrastructure associated with it. It's got to have some banking infrastructure. And unfortunately, the, and Chris's point, what's the model, okay? Um, I mean, the interesting thing is we can take, we can take that bottle there we can look all the way back through its provenance, chain of provenance, to see where the sand came from, where the water came from. The problem is that you've got all of those duplicated systems that sit all the way back through the history of that bottle. And all of those duplicated systems arise because people like selling things. Right? It's only when we sort of, it's almost, it's almost as if, let's think about the person and the things on a sort of a provenance type basis, right. and you build and a highly efficient informational footprint around assets. So you end up storing data once and once only. And when you look back, you can see where it's come from. And when you, look, when you, when you recycle it, you can see where it goes to. I also think there's a really interesting thing that's happening right now. And um, the reason why public permissionless doesn't work for banking and finance is because you need to have some form of governance oversight that can look across the system. And I find it really interesting, and again, Simon, you know, Marcus, maybe you can comment here, but proof of stake versus proof of work. Yeah. Yeah, so proof of work is Bitcoin, proof of stake is what now Ethereum's kind of rebooting to become. Yeah. And proof of stake is not permissionless or public. It, it fits far more into the smart contracts, yeah. financial world than proof of work which is just completely decentralized, distributed and open. Mm. And 
that's where I, going back to what I was saying about, you know, 100 years from now, what's going to be the model? I think proof of stake is the model. Yeah, it, well, yeah. if you look at how DNS works in the internet, um, domain name servers, um, there are several very large domain name servers, which ICANN and W3C have formed a set of standards around, which became acceptable to most of the world. And you, you kind of don't know that that exists. It's just there and it works. Yeah. And, this, and it will get very boring at some point that that stuff kind of um, exists. And, and le let's hope that happens. Let's hope it does get boring. And the whole thing around um, permissionless, I think, was probably an unhelpful term because it was scary. Yeah. But it's also, if you turn that on its head, it's what creates innovation. If it is permissionless to pick up a set of tools, the, the ultimate permissionless technology is Lego. Like, I can just start building whatever I want as a child because nobody's there to tell me what to do otherwise. But actually, baked into Lego are a set of rules about how the world works. Yep. And the same is true with a lot of these networks. Um, so we, I think we'll find our way to those. And the governance model that we applied to the existing financial system, I don't think we can copy paste to the new one. And I don't think we can take all of our assumptions forward into it. We for example, one of our favorite things to do is to assume that the only way to prevent financial crime is by taking some paper documents off a legal person. However, is that the most effective way to prevent financial crime? I actually don't think it is. Having a perfect, complete record of every transaction in the network and then having nodes in that network that can identify who those people are might be much more effective. And indeed, this is why you see so many people shutting down um, ransomware rings and darknet markets. Um, there was a very senior law enforcement official who once said to me, um, we actually quite like Bitcoin because it's a really simple way to catch the criminals. That does not happen in the existing financial system. So we almost have to flip the conversation from permissionless scary uh, to actually what is this new world and what are the new governance structures, um, which nerds like us will get excited about, but most people will probably so find So is it proof of stake or proof of work? My, I mean, this is not investment advice, but um, <laughs> my gut is with proof of stake, but also yeah. that actually let many flowers bloom. It's not just those two. There's also Solana and Polygon and Layer 2 and everything. Are you being quiet, Marcus? Proof of stake I just or been, proof I've just work? been thinking it through. Um, I think proof of stake, and let me just say a few things about this. Um, just Sorry. reflecting on, on governance, um, governance might be trying to solve the wrong thing, and it's about being able to make the move to the world that a new technology opens up for you. Yes. And in the blockchain world, the, the need for governance is redefined or reduced. For example, in the biological world, there is no rule book for a human being. And yet we all come out fully formed, we mm -hmm. tick, we can program through, we kind of work. There's no committee that sits and checks and ticks everything about human beings. So in a similar mindset, if the data and the information is self-controlling, if a transaction contains the rule book through which it will exist until it terminates, then you're able to govern all that in a very different way. And to the point earlier, that's where you have the big departure from just kind of improving things to really creating something wonderful. My view, I think stake is the way it's going to go. I think what is important, though, is that proof is used. Yes. Thank you. I wanted to, um, mm. in the meantime, mm. thank our co-organizers and sponsors, Align Solutions, which is a global tech consultancy working at the cutting edge of the blockchain technology, delivering pathway solutions 
asking who will do this thing. So as a person who is involved in two universities, such as Martin's and Imperial College London, I haven't seen a major in blockchain. Uh, there are courses, online short courses, I think in Oxford on blockchain. Uh, there are courses in Java, Python, SQL, SAS. There is no solidity. So how is the educational system and the governmental support supporting our future talent for this revolution? Like, who is going to build this? Uh, maybe we'll start with Chris. Well, I, I mean, where we're developing is kids are growing up born on the internet. Today's generation are being born on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. And one of the key things about that is that um, <coughs> we kind of look at technology of people of my age as being challenging, for example, because we don't understand or know how to code. Uh, I'm, I'm an exception to the rule. Mm. Um, if you have kids who've grown up and they just love to code and they love to um, develop. So we're going to find, and this is going to what your opening point, Mimi, about um, AI and jobs. You know, I think we're going to end up in 50 years, we're going to have a flourishing economy of people who are thriving in developing code and technology and networking and connecting um, in new ways and new forms so that we haven't even got an idea today what those forms will be. And it's a little bit like um, contextually something that I talk about quite a lot, which is a hundred years ago, the idea of catching an airplane from England to Australia and getting there in less than a day would have been ridiculous. And yet that's what we can do today. A hundred years from now, the idea of getting an airplane from England to Mars sounds ridiculous. But that's what we'll be doing in a hundred years. And that's exactly what education, government, code, kids will be doing. So, and blockchain is, 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 is an integral part of all of this, along with quantum computing, AI, and the other pieces. Um, but I don't, just don't think we have any idea what will be developed in the next 50 years. Yeah, I agree. It used to take me three days to fly to Vietnam to see my grandmother. And now we can also do it in one day. Um, Thank you all for such an insightful discussion and especially for bringing on a larger view to what we're going through right now and what needs to be done, what will happen in the future. Uh, thank you all, for, to all our panelists for being here with us today. Thank you to the online audience. Have a lovely afternoon and enjoy the rest of the FinTech Week London.